This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Extraordinary. There are, as I said, there are forces that want to cause the church and us to believe that we're ordinary. Let me define ordinary for you from the dictionary. The word ordinary means this, with no special or distinctive features, something that's commonly encountered, something you see every day, everywhere, it's usual. It's the run of the mill, it's par for the course, it's unexceptional, unremarkable, it's boring. And a lot of people out there feel that's what the church is. There's a church on every corner, a church is a church is a church, and a Christian is a Christian is a Christian. It's unremarkable, it's par for the course. You go to Impact Church, it's the same as the church down the corner. And I want to say, no, it's not. There's nothing ordinary about it. Come on, say amen. amen. Church should not be par for the course. Church should not be run of the mill. There should be something extraordinary about our gatherings together. That's the way the dictionary defines ordinary. What really upsets me is the way experts define ordinary today. You know, I, I get in a lot of leadership meetings, and I get around a lot of experts. I get around a lot of brilliant people. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> they bring me there to make them look good. And I, I just sit there amazed, because when they, you know, when they start with all of their PhDs and double doctorates and, and uh, all their knowledge and information, they know a lot of Greek and a lot of Hebrew and a lot of uh, hermeneutics and homiletics and everything else, and they're going through the whole thing in their scholarship, and, and uh, then they come up with this conclusion that there's nothing exceptional about the church, that there's nothing exceptional about Christianity today. And they start to put out their statistics about what you can expect. That today, people don't want to give, Pastor Cameron. See, people are not going to give money to rehab a school library. They're not going to do that. People are, are not even going to give to tithe, that only 12% of people tithe. And that uh, as far as their money, they're not going to do it. As far as their serving, they don't want to serve. They're here to be served it's all about them. So you've got to understand the way it is today. And not only that, their morality, they're the same as the world. There's no difference, Pastor, between someone that comes to church and somebody in the world because everybody's doing it. Really. Really. You know what I decided? I don't want to let experts define my Christianity. And you know what I learned? Listen, there's a huge difference between an expert and a witness. You can be an expert and have all the information from a book. I am a witness of the extraordinary power of God. Don't tell me when I sit with these guys that all they do is study books and all they do is study statistics. Do not tell me that the people of God are ordinary. Do not tell me that the church is ordinary. You've never pastored. You've never seen a person come to Christ. You've never seen the transformation. You've never seen a church rise up. You've never seen God do awesome things. I am a witness to the power of God. I will not be shaped by your expert ideas. Now look, Paul told Timothy, go ahead, go to the next slide there. Go ahead. My dear Timothy, I'd say Impact Church, guard the treasure you're given. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is the call of God. 
guard it with your life. Avoid the talk show religion. I love this. The practice confusion. <laughs> it's practice confusion of so-called experts. Some people caught up in a lot of talk can miss the whole point of faith. You know what he's saying is that you've got to have faith. You have to believe what God says. You've got to believe the Bible. You know, I tell young pastors all the time, forget about the national statistics. Forget about the experts. What does the Bible say? Go for the Bible result. Preach the gospel and believe that God can raise up a people today. Listen, Kingston needs to see not an ordinary church, not a boring church, not a run-of-the-mill church, not a church like everybody else, not a church that the experts say you should have. They need to see an extraordinary church. Come on, say amen. What you just did was extraordinary. What you did was extraordinary. It's not ordinary. It's not normal. It's extraordinary. And there are more exploits to be done. You know, I, I saw in Pastor Cameron and, and Sandra last night at dinner, you know, you, you meet in a school and you say, oh, wow, what's extraordinary? We're, we're in a rented facility. We're in a school. <laughs> You're called to an extraordinary journey. There's, a, 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 there's friends of ours, and we're, we're, we're half the year in Florida, half the year in New York, and there's a, I think it's one of the largest churches in America called Christ Fellowship. I've I, I become friends. I was friends with the founding pastor, and I became friends with his son. He turned the church over to his son a few years ago. And I was doing a meeting down there installing a pastor in a small church, about 75 people, and their administrator came. And I started talking to him after, and I said, boy, this must feel weird for you being here with 75 people when you've got 30,000 people at Christ Fellowship in multiple campuses. And he goes, no, no. He goes, Mike, you don't know our story, do you? I said, no, I don't know your story. I thought you just started. You know, you just opened the doors and 10,000 people appeared. You know how those churches are? We just said, Jesus is here, and all of a sudden, he said, no, no, no. He said, uh, you don't know our, our journey. I said, well, tell me. He said, for 10 years, say 10 years. What year is this? Eight. Say 10 years. He said, for 10 years, he said, we met in a school every Sunday. We had less than 100 people. I said, 10 years? 100 people? You met in a school? Yeah, every week we'd set up and tear down. Set up. And for 10 years? He said, yeah. Then all of a sudden, in our 10th or 11th year, God opened the door for us to buy some property. He said, we bought property. People started to hear about it. We grew to 300. We started building our church, built the church, grew to 1,000. Grew to 3,000. Had a build across the street. The next year, two or three or four grew to 5,000. And the rest is history from 5,000. Now, I think right now, there are 50,000 people. Listen, God calls us to an extraordinary journey. Come on, can you say amen? I don't want to let the experts define what my journey should be. Jim Elliott, go to, go to the next slide there. Oh, oh, look at this. Go back, go back, go back. I'm sorry. I forget what I wrote. The leaders, you know, look, look. You've got to understand, God uses normal, uh, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You say, well, what's so special about us? Nothing. It's God who's special, not us. Look, the leaders were surprised and confused. They looked at Peter and John. Remember at the healing of the, the man at the, 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 the temple? And they realized they were typical peasants. Uneducated, utterly ordinary people. Ordinary people with extraordinary confidence. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. We need to be ordinary people 
with an extraordinary around us because we have been with Jesus, right? We're not experts. We're witnesses of the power of God. Jim Elliott, the missionary who was martyred in Ecuador, said this. Go ahead. Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. I don't want to live an ordinary life. How about you? I don't want to have ordinary church service. Look, 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 hear me on this. I do not want to accept and settle in my mind for ordinary. See, what's ordinary Christianity in Kingston? What's your expectation? What's your faith? What does God want to do here? Do you just accept the status quo? Do you just accept your current environment? Do you just accept what people say is the lid? Or do we believe that we're on an extraordinary journey? How many want to live an extraordinary life? How many want to go on an extraordinary journey? I watch. Here's, here's, Here's what the Bible says. Go ahead. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what Paul said. Here's what I want you to do. Take, with God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary Kingston life. <laughs> right? You're, you're eating, sleeping, going to work, walking around life, your Kingston life, and place it now before God. What if we placed our, our life as an offering before God? And then he says this, don't be so well adjusted to your culture or your environment that you fit in without thinking. Instead, fix your attention upon God you're going to be changed from the inside out. What if we fixed our attention upon God? The first step in living, or for us to move into the extraordinary, is I'll make two points. I only have time for two points. Number one, we need to fix our attention on our extraordinary God. Listen, you and I need to make God great. We need to exalt the Lord. Come on, say amen. We need to say we serve a powerful, almighty, incredible God. Because everything that God does... Everything God touches, anything God's involved with is extraordinary. Psalm 77, go ahead. Oh God, your deeds are what? Shout it out. They're extraordinary. What God can compare to our God? You're the God who does amazing things. His glory, (coughs) go ahead. He's extraordinary in his glory and his presence. I love the presence of God. I think your worship is powerful. Your people are going for it. I listened to what you were singing about. You're singing about the extraordinary power of God, the God of the miraculous, the God who saves, the God who delivers. Come on. It's extraordinary. I hope you hear what you're singing about. I hope there's a connection between your brain, your your mouth, and your ears. Come on. Say amen. Amen. He's extraordinary in his presence. Uh, Psalm 145. Oh, God, our God is magnificent. He can never be praised enough. There are no boundaries to his his, uh, greatness. No boundaries to his greatness. You know, again, I get around, I get around pastors, and we, we, have, we have these conferences, and I get around experts, and the experts will say, well, listen, you, you guys better, we want to we train you now in culture today. People do not want to sit in church. Matter of fact, their attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and so you better make your message shorter. You better make these services shorter. So they go from, they went from two hours to an hour and a half to an hour and 50 minutes. Some are doing it for an hour. You know, some are just, you know, in and out uh, in 45 minutes because people's attention span is shorter and shorter. Really? Movies are getting longer and longer. No problem sitting in the movies. 
oh, oh, you all you experts, yeah, oh, yeah. And then, you know, we don't call it preaching anymore, we call it a talk. We're going to give a talk. No, the Bible says it's to the foolishness of preaching. There is a power in the proclamation, in preaching. See, we got so intellectual that we give talks. And we think, and, and they teach, the experts teach you, that people, you have to make the church attractional. And people are coming to hear you. Let me just tell you something. Nobody's here to hear me, and I hate to tell you. <laughs> we better figure it out. Ultimately, people are not here for man. If you are, you're going to be disappointed. If you are, you're going to get burned out. I want to tell you why people are here. See, when it's all about man, <coughs> you have to figure out how to keep people there. Listen to me. Here's what I've learned. I've been at this a long time. When man's in charge, you're always looking at your watch. How much longer is this going to be? But when God shows up, when God shows up, when the presence of God, when the presence and person of Jesus is there manifested. You don't have to worry about getting them to stay. They don't want to leave. That's right. People do not want to leave. Come on, say amen. amen. You want to know why his presence is overwhelming? When people experience the legitimate presence of God, they don't want to leave. That's right. His presence is extraordinary. Look, uh, next one. He's extraordinary. His miracles. How many know our God is a God of miracles? Signs, wonders. His miracles of provision. All through the Bible, God's extraordinary in his miracles of provision. Do you believe God can provide for you? He fed millions of people in the wilderness for 40 years. Think about it. In a desert, he fed 2 million people every day for 40 years. The food alone would take a freight train two miles long. Every day, in a desert. It required 11 11 million gallons of water a day to feed those people. Say extraordinary. Do you serve an extraordinary God of provision? Yes. Amen. Do you? Yes. My God shall supply part of my needs. Oh, you people know the Bible? How extraordinary is your God? I'll tell you a bunch of stories today. We were, we were doing a dinner during the transition weekend with my son, and we're at a, 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 a restaurant facility in Utica, and we're in part of it having dinner with all the elders, and the other part they're doing a fundraiser. And I bumped into a lady from the Community Foundation. So, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, how are you? You know, they, they give us money for our compassion ministry. I said, good, good, how are you, Peggy? She goes, I want you to meet this lady. And so I shake this lady's hand, <coughs> and she goes, she's one of our biggest donors. They were raising money for the Humane Society. And then she goes, she goes, uh, I want you to meet Donna. I said, hi, Donna, how are you? She goes, Donna, tell them what you did. She goes, no. Tell them what you did. No. I said, well, Donna, you've got to tell me now because it's going to bother me for the rest of my life. What did you do? She goes, well, she goes, uh, my husband and I had a, had a horrible divorce. And I was, you know, just totally in depression, broken up, didn't know what to do with my life. And I get this idea to start this business. And she starts this business in Utica, becomes very prosperous. And she goes, uh, I, 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 I adopted a dog from the Humane Society, a rescue dog, became my best friend, her and the dog, replaced the husband <laughs> with the dog. 
And uh, she goes, I was so touched and overwhelmed. The dog got me through a dark time in my life that I gave, you know, a donation to the, to the Humane Society, to the Community Foundation. She goes, no, t- tell them the story. She goes, well, she goes, what we did, I, I brought the rescue dog in to the Community Foundation with a big bow and a, and a card. And so the dog comes in and, and they go, oh, it's so cute. She goes, oh, re- read the card. So they, she, she reads the card and Peggy's going, Tell them what was in the card. No, tell them what was in the card. I said, tell me what was in the card. <laughs> she goes, a check. The dog had a check around its neck. I said, uh, tell them how much. <laughs> now, this is Utica, New York, folks. Utica, New York, the Humane Society. This is a business. How many have businesses here? Raise your hand. Wait, wait, wave your hand if you've got a business. Okay. This is business people, lady... Started his business. She writes a check. Tell him what the check is for. I'm like, how much was the check for? You ready? For dogs. Are you ready? In Utica. How much do you think it was for? How much? A million five? You're a generous guy. It was for one million dollars. She saw the look on my face. She goes, Pastor Mike. She goes, I love dogs. I'm like, (laughs) you gave, you just gave them a million dollars for the Humane Society. She goes, what do you have to say? I said, when can that dog come to church? (laughs) But here's what hit me. Here's what hit me. Here's what hit me. She was so overwhelmed by her relationship with a dog that rescued her life. And I said, God, forgive us. How overwhelmed am I with my finances for what you've done for me? Don't shout me down to Baptist church here. How many know God's extraordinary in, in, in provision? You know, we, uh, we have our compassion ministry. And we were having a board meeting uh, a couple of years ago and we, we, we're, where we are, they, they, they're redoing one of the highways in Utica, and they cut off all of the, the, they actually blocked the road to our compassion ministry. We've got a for-profit store that funds a not-for-profit. Without making that profit, we cannot continue to do our operations. So I got all these smart guys on the board, experts, <laughs> and uh, they said to me, Pastor, we crunched the numbers, and we're $100,000 short. We're going to be $100,000 short for the year. I said, don't worry about it. No, no, no. I know you're a preacher, faith guy. That stuff, good, good on Sunday, but this is the real world. We're having to make money here. This is reality, buddy. This is Monday to Friday stuff. I know church stuff, you know. No, you're $100,000 short. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. Listen, I get it. I've been in business. I get it. Here's what you don't understand. I have an extraordinary God. Listen, this is an extraordinary call. He's going to provide an extraordinary way because this was not my idea, not my plan. This is God's plan, God's idea, and God will provide. They just walk away shaking their heads. The next week, a Walmart truck is going to make a delivery. A 45-foot trailer goes off the road, filled with two hundred dollars or $300,000 worth of product for a store. They said, we can't sell it. We're going to donate it to you. You can sell it. We've made the $100,000 shortfall, 
and put $100,000 in the bank. We didn't finish the year not 100000 behind, but 100000 ahead. See, come on, see? See, God is a provider. It's extraordinary. I can tell you stories like that every day of the week. Look, he's extraordinary. Go ahead. Go ahead, follow me here. Okay, you missed the miracles. Next one. Miracles over nature. Is he Lord over nature? Again and again, you see Jesus coming. How extraordinary is God over nature? Is he Lord over nature? Can you say amen? Is he extraordinary? Let me tell you another story. We, the roof on our building went, on the Compassion Building. And so, uh, again, we have all the experts. And they said, uh, you better get this, this roof fixed before it caves in. Because, we you know, with the snow loads up here in the northeast, uh, it's not going to make it through another winter. When they go up on there to inspect it, they said, most of the roof is asbestos. To get the asbestos off, it's going to require asbestos abatement. It's going to be $50,000 just to have the asbestos pulled off. But they said, Pastor Mike, here's the kicker. When it's on the roof, it's, it's uh, contaminated. It's, uh, what do you call it? Um, whatever. Uh, it's uh, hazardous uh, material. But when it goes on the ground, it's construction debris. I said, well, can't we go up at night and just throw it on the ground? And, and, <laughs> <clears throat> no. So it's 125000 to do the roof. <coughs> and I remember saying to the Lord, we had $100,000 in the bank. And I said, Lord, do you really want me to give this money to these people? This is money to feed the poor. Do you really want this done? And I, I kept praying, asking the Lord, nothing, 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 nothing. And I'm getting frustrated because, you know, I usually want an answer. Yes, do it or don't do it. <clears throat> Nothing. <clears throat> Finally, it's July, two years ago. I'm in Florida. Charlie calls. says, we've got to sign the contract. If we don't sign it now, we don't get on their schedule for the fall. We don't get the building done. We don't get the roof done. I said, all right, when I come home, it was a Friday. When I come home, I will sign. And they'll get their money. Saturday, we get a tornado. We don't get tornadoes in Utica. A tornado. It was like the worst storm they'd seen in years. The tornado lands on the street where our building is. The tornado hits the building. It rips the roof off the building. All the asbestos goes on the ground. Charlie calls me up crying. Pastor, the roof is leaking, water's pouring, and I'm going to howl, because I can see it. Hallelujah! Because he's Lord over nature. God just did something extraordinary. I said, call, let it all, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. Call the insurance company. <coughs> the insurance company comes. Oh boy, we got to pay for your roof. And I said, I'll ask you a question. Is this now hazardous material, or is it construction debris? They said, it's on the ground. It's construction debris. I said, get it out of here. <laughs> Cancel the asbestos contract. The, the insurance company put the roof on. Instead of paying $125,000 out, we put all the money in the bank. Come on, say amen. Yeah. Our God is extraordinary. Come on, say amen. Yeah. See, what are, we have to look at what we're facing and believe that God can provide. <clears throat> He's, how about miracles over sickness? Miracles of healing. He's Lord over sickness, demons, death. uh, Are you guys okay getting something out of this? Matthew 9. Every every miracle of Jesus, they were 
awestruck and totally amazed. Well, how would you be if you saw a miracle before your eyes? I mean, a real miracle. They were awestruck. Go ahead. Next one. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I just read, you get church leaders. Did you you read about that testimony of the, the guy this week? All right, there's a pastor that got a virus a couple of years ago. It settled in his throat. He went to over 200 doctors, 60-some-odd specialists, and his voice went, totally went. Couldn't get his voice back. He had to step out of ministry. He's going to a church, just sitting in the church, heartbroken. And uh, he's sitting in a Sunday school class. The lady who was supposed to teach was sick. They said, would you teach the class? He said, well, my voice. They said, we got a special microphone. Whatever, whatever sounds you make, we'll be able to record and they'll be able to hear you. <clears throat> he said, I'll try. It's actually, you could get the recording and play it for the church. He gets up to teach. The lesson is on Psalm 103. He heals all our diseases. And he's talking about, with no voice, how God heals today. Four and a half minutes into his teaching, the power of God hit him. And it's right there in front of the whole class. His voice comes back Perfect. He's overwhelmed. He starts to weep. He starts to cry. The class doesn't know what to do because a miracle happened right before their eyes. I want to tell you something. There are miracles all around us. I want to tell you, we're in a dearth right now where people, you know, they, 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 they're hoping and wishing and hoping and praying. And there's not, listen to me, there's not a lot of activity. But I want to tell you something. God's going to show up. Amen. And when God shows up, it is going to be extraordinary. It's going to be astounding. And it's not going to be through some superstar. He's going to show up in church. He's going to show up amongst the people of God, the everyday, ordinary people of God, and you're going to begin to see extraordinary miracles. How many know the enemy knows your name? You know, are are you guys okay? I was, uh, I took, years ago, I took my kids, they got a diamond mine in in, in Herkimer, and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're quartz, but they call them Herkimer diamonds. People come from all over the world to hunt these diamonds. So they said, Dad, we want to go diamond hunting. Well, I had to do the hunting. I had to do the rock breaking. I felt like I was on a chain gang, you know. I'm breaking rocks, and they're sitting there going through them. So after doing that for a few hours, I was exhausted. There's a little convenience store that was run by a couple from our church across the street from the diamond mine. And so I'm in there. They're behind the counter. They're an elderly couple. I'm talking to them. My kids, my boys were young. They're running around. And all of a sudden, I hear a a, a car screech on the highway. It was right on the highway. A car screech. I look out the window. The car is left in the middle of the road with the doors open. I'm thinking, uh-oh. And then I see this woman get out of the car. And, and, and she's going like this. Wah! Yeah! Uh-oh. This is not good. <laughs> not good. We're all alone. Just them and me and my kids. She comes into the store. She kicks the door of the store open. And she says, wah! Stuff goes off the shelf. She's breaking glass. Oh, boy, this is like, this is really not going to be good. So I'm going to protect these older people. So here she's coming, destroying the store. Bah! Bah! And I'm like, I can't hit her. She is definitely going to hit me. It's not going to be pretty. So I said, quickly, call the police, because this woman is nuts. So, bing, boom, bang, boom. She gets this close to me. And I'm, I'm getting ready, right? What to do? She is crazy. When she gets this close, all of a sudden she stops. She looks at me, and she goes, I can see. It, it, it sent chills up my spine. 
She goes, I can see the glorious light of Christ in your eyes. And she goes, I'm a, you're a good person. And I said, yes. <laughs> I said, calm down and let's go outside. I took her outside until the police came. She had escaped from an institution. But what freaked me out, those spirits, when she got close to me, I was ready to get punched or kicked. But those spirits sensed the authority and the presence of Christ. And out of her own mouth, she said, I see the glorious light of Christ in your eyes. Calm down immediately. I was able to take her outside, pray with her, keep her calm, and stop from breaking things until the police came. Come on, say amen. He's God over, over demons, darkness, sickness, death. Come on, say amen. Extraordinary. Say extraordinary. <clears throat> but the most, the most extraordinary thing about God is an extraordinary love for people, for us. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love is this, that we would be called the people of God. Let me give you my, my, my second... You, you okay? Oh, yeah. My second point. Look, point number two is that... Go ahead, go to the next slide. We get... We, we have an extraordinary God. We get to proclaim an extraordinary message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you guys got to fill Kingston with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell people how extraordinary God is, how extraordinary his love is for people, and fill the city. See, <coughs> Jesus invites and welcomes all who come to him. Matthew 11. Come unto me, how many? All, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. When we proclaim, when you and I proclaim the gospel, it has an extraordinary impact. That's why, why Paul said this, for I am not ashamed... Go ahead. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. When you and I proclaim the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. Uh, Spurgeon said this, the gospel is like a caged lion. It doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of the cage. You know, you and I got to open our mouth and let the gospel out of the cage. Let it out of your mouth, right? Somebody said this, there's no problem with the gospel, right? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. There's no problem with the message. The problem is in the delivery system. Us? You and I got to let it go. Come on, say amen. <clears throat> Next one. We are changed when the gospel is proclaimed as a powerful impact. We are changed not by being told what we need to do for God, but by hearing the news about what God has done for us. The gospel is a message of done what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's not do. See, religion thinks, what do I have to do? What more do I have to do? What do I have to do to make myself presentable? The gospel is a declaration of what has been done through Jesus Christ. That's why you and I have got to go out and proclaim, it is finished, it is accomplished, it is done. Jesus did everything that needed to be done for you and I to be saved. Come on, say amen. It's done. The gospel is done. It's not do. Now look, what, what kind of a gospel did the early church proclaim? Right here, you'll see it, Paul. Paul said this in Romans. If we and I were to go out and proclaim the gospel, here's how Paul would proclaim it. He'd say, when the time was right, not our time, but God's time, Jesus died for all of us who were where? Far from God. All of us who were powerless. All of us who were weak. He died for you at that moment in your life. He said, now think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin... God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible way. <coughs> Christ died for us. When you were weak, when you were powerless, 
When you were far from God, you weren't thinking about God. God was thinking about you. And it's been done. Jesus did it all. Ephesians. He says, for it's, <coughs> he starts off saying you were dead in sin. Dead. Then he says, by God's grace, you've been saved. You receive it through faith. It wasn't our plan or effort. It was God's gift, pure and simple. You didn't earn it. None of us did. So don't go on bragging. You must have done something amazing. Then he says, we're the product of his hand. Heaven's poetry etched on human lives. We didn't do anything. Jesus Christ did it all. By God's grace, grace that stooped down when we were at our worst, when we were dead in sin, somebody proclaimed a message to us that God loves us, that your sins have been forgiven if you will believe. And when, listen, the gospel is a proclamation that only requires one thing, a response. Yes or no. That's all it requires. When you proclaim the gospel, all God asks is for a response. And that starts the whole thing. But when the gospel comes, when, it, when, when the gospel is received, the gospel writes a brand new story for every life. Go ahead. What this means is that those who become Christians become brand new persons. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone. What happened? A new life has begun. When you get born again, it's all a work of God, but then all of a sudden this transformation begins. Now, the word new defined in the Greek, not, not the dictionary, when Paul said they're new, he said it's something never seen before. Do you understand when you proclaim the gospel, when you share the gospel with somebody, God's saying you're going to see something never seen before. Do you know how many, listen, 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 listen. Do you know how many people are bound by generational curses? How many people are bound by hopelessness? How many people are bound by the, by the, the, the generational stuff in their families? Granddad was an alcoholic. Dad's an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Until you come to Christ. Granddad was an, uh, 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 an adulterer. Dad was an adulterer. I can't control. Until you come to Christ. Granddad was in poverty. Dad was in poverty. Until you come to Christ. Until you come to Christ. Until you come to Christ. So you can meet people and know people. But God says, let me introduce you now. Look, newly introduced. Not known before. Different from what was before. Newly introduced. When someone becomes a Christian, they become brand new. Say new. Brand new. That's why all bets are up. Nobody's going to know who you are. When you get born again, it's a brand new person. When I got saved, I got saved at 22 years old. I was a, when I tell you, I was a train wreck. In two years, I managed to, to, to just about wreck my, I, had a, I was married for two years. I, I about wrecked my family. You know, I was, I was a train wreck. Our business was going bankrupt. Everything, it couldn't have gotten worse. And I felt at 22, my life was over. 22, <laughs> burned out. And they kept preaching to me, preaching to me. And I said, oh, it's all a bunch of baloney. Little church, about 40 people, little Pentecostal church. I went one night because <coughs> I had a toothache, and I knew they had a healing evangelist, and I thought, let me see if there's anything, you know, that could happen. They give the altar call, and my sister was there, and she had received the Lord. She gets up to go to the altar. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to just get up and walk out because I want to sneak out now with people. There's movement. I don't want to know I was there. When she gets up, she walks over to me and grabs my arm. And I said, let go. She goes, no, we're going up there. I go, oh, no, we are not. <laughs> no, no, we're going up there. Oh, no, 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 we're not. 
No, we're not. She goes, oh, we're going. No. And when everybody's looking, Mike Cervello's in church. Mike Cervello's in. You believe Mike Cervello's in? Look, look over there. Look over there. Mike so I figure, what's, what's the least embarrassment? Keep fighting or go to the altar. So I get up and go to the altar. And I, I'm looking at all the hypocrites kneeling down. So I kneel down. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get this thing over right away. The preacher, he was two years older than me, 24 years old, had, you know, talked to my wife. My wife had gotten saved. My mom had gotten saved. She saying, pray for Mike, pray for Mike. <clears throat> Leaves everybody else at the altar and starts walking over to me. And I'm like, oh, embarrassment on top of embarrassment. They lay their hands on me, him and the evangelist. The power of God hits me. And I felt like 10,000 pounds lift off me. I got delivered. When I, now, they didn't know what happened. <coughs> when I got up, I was, I was shaken. I, I, was, I didn't know what happened. I, I left that church like I was in a daze. I didn't know about being translated from darkness to light. I didn't know about being born again. I walk out. Nobody greets me, nothing, because, I, I mean, I was a piece of work. <laughs> so they've just thought, Leave him alone. And I walked home. I forgot I drove the car. I left the car at church. I was so overwhelmed. I knock on the door. And we were having bad marital problems. I knock on the door. My wife answers the door. And she looked at me and she said, What happened to you? Did you get saved? I don't know what happened to me. But f- from that moment on, I had a hunger to go to church. The next Sunday I go, I, I, I put my hands in the air, I get filled with the Holy Spirit. I start leading my family. Every negative thing, where I had hopelessness, I had hope. Where I had rejection, I had acceptance. Where my business is going bankrupt, God said, now I'm going to bless you. Everything began to change. See, God, my wife had to learn to live with a brand new person. A brand new person, newly introduced. Not the same anymore. Come on, a new life has begun. Look, go ahead. Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. This is the gospel. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone. What else needs to be done? Listen, when Jesus gave up his last breath, what did he say? It is all done. Do you understand when you accept Christ, You've been forgiven. Say forgiven. Forgiven. Look what Spurgeon said. Go ahead. When God forgives, he draws the mark through every sin which the believer has ever committed or will ever commit. However many, however heinous your sins may have been, the moment you believe, the moment you believe, there every one of them blotted out. In the book of God... There's not a single sin against any person whose trust is in Christ. Not a single one. Not even the shadow of one. Not a spot or the remnant of sin remaining. All is gone. And when God's love covers the big sins, it covers the little ones. And they're all gone at once. When God forgives, he not only forgives all, but once for all. By one sacrifice, there's a full remission of all sin that was ever against the believer or that ever will be against him. Not a single sin shall ever stand against you nor shall you ever be punished for a single sin. For every sin is forgiven, fully forgiven. So not even part of the punishment shall be executed against you. It sounds like good news to me. 
You all right? Yeah. I'm almost done. Go ahead. By God's grace, without earning it, all are granted the status being considered righteous before him. Let me just make a statement about this first. Let me, let me tell, you, tell you a story. I'm on a board of a church in L.A., large church. <coughs> and I had to go out there in December for a board meeting. Middle of the week, I'm flying from L.A. to Rhode Island to go preach for Steve Boyce. And I was going through Charlotte. Well, I get upgraded to first class on American Airlines. I'm sitting in first class. I'm sitting in the aisle seat. And there's nobody next to me. I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to just relax. Early morning flight. And uh, sleep a little bit. Work on my sermon and have a good time. All of a sudden, like a few minutes before the plane takes off, this guy gets on cap, earbuds, sunglasses, and steps over the seat and doesn't want to talk. That's okay. I'm good. Don't talk. And for two or three hours, he, you know, he's like just working on his computer and Facebook and all this stuff. I see all these pictures going all the time. He doesn't eat. I'm preparing a sermon. I go to sleep. I wake up, prepare a sermon. Wake, you know, the preachers do sleep, eat, prepare <laughs> sermon. <clears throat> and about at the last 30 minutes of the flight, I, I keep hearing his voice. I'm thinking, I know that voice. I know that voice. And he takes his glasses off. I look at him. I go, I know who you are. And he goes, yeah. He was a famous actor. He puts his hand out. I'm, I'm so-and-so. I'm Mike. And uh, he, he, he goes, do you know who I am? I said, yeah, I, I know who you are. And he started talking about his family. We were talking about life. And he goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Really? What kind of a church I tell him? <coughs> he goes, well, I said, are you a Christian? He goes, I'm spiritual, which means he's not a Christian. <laughs> so he goes, you know, <clears throat> he goes, uh, I would go to church if churches help the community. I said, well, that's, that's the gospel. That's Jesus talked about. That. He said, well, I'd go to church if they help the poor. I said, well, that, that's really the gospel. I mean, you're, 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 you're preaching the gospel. He said, I'd go to church if people practice forgiveness and love. I said, that, that's the gospel. He just looked at me kind of funny. I said, let me tell you a story. I said, here's, let me tell you how much God loves you. Here's how God defines his love for people. In Luke 15, there's a story of the prodigal son. I tell him this whole story about, I said, you're an artist. Picture it now in your mind. This prodigal son leaves his father, deserves punishment, ends up in a pig pen. Worst form of defilement for a Jew. And so he's covered with pig manure. He's in rags. He's wasted everything. Spent his whole life. He starts coming home just to ask to be a lowly servant in his father's house. And I said, this father is a picture of God the Father. He sees him coming a long way off. And I said, his father loved him so much. Even though he stunk, he wrecked his life, he intentionally sinned, his father starts running to him, covers him with kisses, embraces him, puts a robe around him. I said, that's how much God loves you. He's got tears running down his eyes. The plane lands. I get up. I said, see, I'll, I'll see you. I said, here's my card. He said, wait a minute. Grabs my arm. Wait. Wait. Tell me another story. <laughs> he said, we got to get off the plane. I go, how much time do you have? He goes, I got an hour. I go, let's go to Starbucks. We got off the plane, went to Starbucks, talked for another 45 minutes about the gospel. People are going by, hey, I said, hey, yeah, that's so-and-so. But my point is, people are hungry to hear. The, I could tell you a story after story after story. Now look, see the scripture here? Without earning it, we are granted the status of being considered, say righteous. righteous. 
All right. Here, here's, here's the gospel. You're not only forgiven. This is called the, do- the doctrine of justification. I heard you even singing about it. I heard you talking about it. All my guilt and shame. God not only forgives you, but God declares you not guilty. God says all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your wrongdoing, all of your past is gone. What, what, what righteousness does for us, this is the difference, folks, between those that people that will grow and people that won't grow. You can say, I know I'm forgiven, but, 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 I got a lot to make up for, but, 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 it's still in the past, but, 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 God still remembers it. Listen to me. It's gone. And now, not only is it gone, but when God looks at you, he looks at Jesus, and he says, not only are you forgiven, I declare you not guilty, I declare you a blood-washed, clean, righteous child of God. Now, we have, do we have this stuff that has to be worked out? Absolutely. But listen, how is it going to get worked out? That's called sanctification. The only way it's going to get worked out is not by you looking back at what you were, but by you going forward to embrace what God's called you to be. See, by you embracing the new life, and that new life, folks, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. God wants to break the power of shame. He wants to break the power of religiosity. He wants to break the bondage of the past so you can live the extraordinary life that God has called you to. Last verse, and I'm done. I'll turn it over to your pastor. Look. Sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with this aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace... Grace always wins, hands down. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.